Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 to 42. Uh, we're continuing to look at uh, Lamentations chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken, and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Um, let me let me open with a word of prayer and again let me just double check you can hear me a thumbs up okay the reason i'm asking is because um peter and i we got these new microphones to hopefully include the the audio sound and make it clearer so i just want to make sure it's, it's working properly let me play pray for us god we thank you for uh your word and we thank you for all of it we thank you for the parts that uh, maybe we're unfamiliar with uh, for times such as these. We're thankful for the parts that even make us uncomfortable because they challenge our assumptions about who you are and draw us near to uh, the reality of uh, who you actually are. And we pray for this time that you would speak to us and speak to us in our lives, in our hearts, in our situations, in our circumstances. Speak to us in the context of this pandemic that we are all experiencing. Uh, speak to us from where we are in our homes, uh, that we might remember you and we might be encouraged by you. And then that you might equip us uh, to know how to live uh, in light of who you are and in light of what you have done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> uh, we have been getting some grim news, if you read the news and keep up with the news. And according to reports, it sounds like things will get worse before they get better. And I think they're saying the next week or the next two weeks will probably be the, the hardest for this New York region. And, uh, you know, in view of that, I thought it would be good just to um, think about suffering and think about uh, what the Bible says about hard times and suffering. You know, in one sense, suffering is a universal experience and everybody's going to experience some kind of hardship at some point in their lives. And everybody is going to know what it means to grieve. Uh, but at the same time, I think how one suffers may actually look different depending on who you are and especially the kind of resources you might have accessible to you. So, for example, during this time, uh, plenty of people, and I think most of us, have the resources where uh, we can work from home. 
we can use technology and have online church services. And uh, if you have kids, they're using technology to have school. And even though everybody in this uh, region is experiencing the pandemic, uh, there's still a sense of control that those who have resources uh, can exert over their lives. Then on the other hand, you also read a lot of stories where there are many people who lack resources and there are people who can't work from home and they have no choice but to take subways and uh, go to work because they are living paycheck to paycheck and they have an hourly wage. Uh, you know, every week I participate in this New York pastors meeting and one pastor from the Bronx was saying that uh, there are some churches in the Bronx that are struggling with things like the online options of school because most people in his congregation don't even have a laptop. And so, you know, depending on the kind of resources that a person has, you might approach the experience of hardship a little bit differently. Now, the people of God and the experience of God's people has have fluctuated between being in the lowest positions and also being in positions of power. So Israel, they were chosen. Why? Because they were small and weak. They were once a wandering nomadic community, but they eventually grew into a powerful kingdom. Then they lost their power and influence when Babylon attacked them and attacked Jerusalem, destroyed their temple, and exiled the people to a foreign land. And if you think about it, even for Christians, there have been times when Christians are the social outcasts and have been oppressed and persecuted by uh, the government. But there's also been times where Christians were in positions of power and influence. And so depending on where you stand, I think you do experience suffering a little bit differently. When you have resources and influence and social capital, you might try to figure out how to solve or make better or improve the situation that you're in and in a sense try to triumph over it. But when you are in a position of poverty and have very little influence or power, oftentimes there is not much you can do. And of course, that was the experience of the African-Americans during the era of slavery. Since they had little power to change their actual circumstances, a big part of their response to their hardship and to their suffering was to simply lament and to try to hold on to hope in the midst of their hardship. They didn't have the power or ability to control their lives, and so there wasn't really that much they could do beyond that. And if you see some of the Negro spirituals that they sang during that time, it's reflective of this uh, balance between lamenting and trying to hold on to hope. That's also a reason why I think uh, the powerless and the vulnerable actually have a great deal to teach the church when it comes to suffering, especially in the kind of suffering and trial and hardship where you feel powerless and out of control. And Lamentations is such a book. Lamentations is written when the people of God were on the margins, when they had little power, when they had little control, their city was destroyed by Babylon, they were living in exile. And so over, overall, it's a very dark book, which is why it's called Lamentations. And, but there is this one glimmer of light in this very dark book that you find in chapter 3, which is what we're going to look at today. And so this book and the experience of the exiles will have us a lot to teach us not only about lament, but it actually also teaches us about how to hope in the midst of darkness. If you remember, if you were here last week and we looked at the first section of this chapter, it was a very negative chapter. And you saw that suffering and hardship and trial, it has this disorienting effect on you where you start to re-examine everything. So if you're a person, maybe you don't believe in God, 
Suffering might actually make you re-examine that and start to inquire about God. If you are someone who does believe in God, then you might actually re-examine what you thought you believed about God and say, is that really true what I used to believe? Or some people might even question their belief in God. And you see that kind of re-examination taking place several times in the Bible. So for example, in Psalm 73, there's this guy named Asaph, and he thought he knew what it meant for God to be good to Israel. And he looks at his life and he compares it to the wicked. And he struggles to understand why his life is not as good as those who are wicked. And through that struggle, he underwent a re-examination and his understanding of the goodness of God actually changed. And he came out of that struggle with a deeper understanding that God is good. And that's the kind of power suffering has. And there is a sense that uh, the people of God are wrestling with God. So verse 21 takes a turn when this voice in this chapter, who some people say might be the voice of a prophet or other commentators call this voice the valiant man, this voice says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And what you see this person doing is he is making a turn by recalling something to his mind and that recollection is what leads him to hope. So what I want to do today is I just want to observe this person as if we are uh, watching the sun rise over the dark ocean and see how light starts to penetrate uh, the dark as he laments. The first thing I think you see this person do is this person remembers the character of God. Uh, there's a Jewish scholar that I read and I, I, I enjoy a lot and he's very insightful and he says this person is having some kind of inward debate and this marks the turning point for arguing the other side of things. So on the one hand, he's saying, why is life so hard? Why does it feel like God is absent? Why does it feel like God is not even hearing or listening to my prayers? Why is God the one causing me so much pain and grief? And then on the other hand, on the other side of the debate, he remembers in verse 22, things like this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. In verse 23, he remembers that great is God's faithfulness and that the Lord is his portion. Verse 25, he remembers that the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Verse 32, that God will have compassion according to his steadfast love. Verse 33, that God is not one who would willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. And so how do we interpret this side of this inward debate that he is having? Is it just wishful thinking or is it actually something based in reality? Because if it's just wishful thinking, then it would be something easy to dismiss, and his hope would be built on something soft and unreliable, a house built on sand, so to speak. But if it is something that is based on reality, then that means his hope is built on something that is solid and robust. Now, for the Jewish people, they have seen and experienced everything that this man is recalling about God in their own story. Uh, some of you may have. Uh, heard me mention, I, I think this is the Hebrew word that I mentioned the most, but it's the Hebrew word hesed. And it, I mentioned a lot because it's an important word, and it's because the English translation can't really get across the meaning of this Hebrew word. Uh, in our passage, it's translated as steadfast love, and in our call to worship, it's translated as steadfast love. Uh, sometimes it's translated as mercy, but uh, in the translation, you don't really get the full character of uh, the nature of that kind of love. It's based on a, an idea or uh, something in the Bible that is called a covenant. 
a covenant is this the way God establishes a relationship with his people. Uh, and it is a way that binds God to his people. And it is bound by promises and bound by vows. And so for God to be faithful, what it means is he is faithful to the promises that he made. Now imagine you have this uh, husband and a wife. And this husband and wife, they are bound by a covenant as well in the covenant of marriage. And imagine the wife has uh, some kind of uh, issue, maybe behavioral issue, maybe addiction issue, maybe disorder, some kind of behavioral disorder. And so she ends up causing a great deal of pain for her husband through her actions and through her behaviors. And she does a lot of uh, messed up things to her husband. And some of what she does is so bad that they have to separate for a while, but eventually he comes back and he sticks by her and sticks with her and stays with her because they are bound by the marriage covenant and that means something to him. She is still his wife and he is still her husband. And now imagine after going through a couple of rounds of that, we can probably say with some degree of confidence that this husband loves his wife. It's a love that's not merely based on sentiment or based on feeling, but, but it's a love that is ultimately rooted in covenant faithfulness, in the promises and in the vows that he made to his wife. And that essentially is the story of Israel, God's own bride. There were times when they did things to break covenant with God, and yet God's steadfast love never ceased. God's hesed never ceased. When verse 22 says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, the voice of this chapter is recalling how God has been faithful to his covenant and demonstrated his steadfast love for them, and therefore his love for them is something that is solid. Now, one of the ways the serpent deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was essentially to make them doubt the goodness of God. And I do think Satan still operates in that same way. And one of the ways he wants to deceive us is by making us think that God is not good. And we become especially vulnerable to those kinds of thoughts and deceptions when we are in the midst of suffering. And we start to think, why am I in this situation? Why are we in this situation? How can God be good to me when I am hurting so much? How can God be good when people who are not as good as me are free from suffering? And maybe these are some of the thoughts that we might have. And it doesn't seem fair. And again, that's a struggle from Psalm 73. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about how God made the Israelites wait for three days at the Jordan River as they made their way into the promised land. And the period of waiting is this invitation to grow in faith because it's during that period where you don't know how things will turn out. And you have to decide whether to live by faith or whether to live by fear. When verses 25 to 26 talk about the goodness of God, it specifically ties it to the idea of those who wait for him. The waiting period is filled with trial, it's filled with struggle, it's filled with uncertainty, it's filled with pain. It's a season where you are waiting for deliverance and salvation. It's when the goodness of God will be questioned, but it's also when you resolve to trust in the Lord and in his goodness. Uh, we started a Bible study on uh, Wednesday evenings on Zoom, so if uh, anybody wants to join in on that, you're welcome to join in. But we started looking at 1 Peter. And uh, the first chapter of 1 Peter says, when you come out of trial, you come out with uh, having the genuineness of your faith tested, and that, that become, that's more precious than gold or sil silver. 
I would never say, and I don't think the Bible would ever say suffering is ultimately a good thing because it is a product of a, a sinful and broken world. But God can redeem it and create good out of it. Uh, it's a bit like the image where light uh, wraps around darkness. God's goodness can wrap around itself around evil and suffering so that something good comes out of something that is so bad. And verse 27 says something similar when it says, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And it's basically saying, it's good for a person to undergo trial because they can come out better for it. And uh, this ultimately leads to uh, the second thing that I, we see in this chapter, after reflecting on the character of God upon his steadfast love, his faithfulness, and his goodness. Uh, the second thing we see in this chapter is this person uses this waiting period of suffering for repentance. Now, we didn't read the rest of the chapter, but that's uh, one of the major themes of the remainder of the chapter. And we see a bit of it starting at verse 40, when he says, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. And not many people would think repentance is a normal response during a time of suffering, because you might say, you already feel bad about your suffering. Why would you do something to make you feel worse? But that misunderstands the purpose and the power of repentance. Repentance is not there to make us feel bad about our sin, but it's actually designed to help us to draw near to God. And therefore, how do we remember the characteristics about his steadfast love, about his goodness, and about his faithfulness? Repentance is actually one of the tools that will draw us near to God and help us to remember some of these things. Repentance is this disposition, disposition to turn away from sin and apathy and rebellion and idolatry and our spiritual slumber and make a direction to return to the Lord. One reason why moments of suffering is the perfect time to examine our ways and return to the Lord is because suffering exposes us in a very unique way. Uh, globally, I think this season will probably expose some of the bad habits we've built as a world. Uh, I've read, I've already read articles about how, at least in the West, hyper-individualism has been something that hurt us. Uh, our lack of uh, trust and in our institutions has probably hurt us. Uh, the situation has shown, uh, especially towards Asians and Asian Americans, uh, that there's a lot of racism, maybe much more than we thought. Uh, these kinds of things have a way of exposing themselves uh, when they were once kept hidden, and that happens during times of suffering and hardship. I think the same thing happens spiritually as well. I think there are a lot of people who are probably examining the spiritual state of churches in America. I think individuals are examining their relationship with God. I've already heard several people reflect on this time and say things like, uh, they regret, you know, being so busy before and not being grateful for the small things in life. Uh, they realize they've been so focused on other things and maybe they've neglected their relationship with God. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, suffering can be fruitful. Although, again, suffering is not good, but it can be fruitful um, because suffering is so disorienting. And sometimes disorientation is necessary if our previous orientation was not centered around the right things so that we can be disoriented and through repentance orient ourselves around the Lord. So the call to test and examine our ways and return to the Lord is appropriate 
during a period of trial because it will lead us to draw near to God so that we can remember his steadfast love, so that we can remember that he is merciful, that his mercies are new every morning, so that we can remember the greatness of his faithfulness over us. Now, real hope, uh, it draws from the past, but real hope is future-oriented. You know, despair comes upon us when we don't see a way out in the future, uh, when we can't imagine a way out, when we can't imagine things being better. Hope speaks to us in those moments and lifts us up and helps us to imagine and anticipate a future where that darkness will lift. And you actually see that imagery when it talks about how God's mercies are new every morning. It won't be nighttime forever. It won't be evening forever, but the morning will come. And when that morning comes, you will feel God's mercies. And you also see in verse 31 when it says, the Lord will not cast off forever. This voice, this man, he is anticipating a time where their current situation will not be and where things will be better. Now, that anticipation of the future that we see in this chapter is very different from how the book of Lamentations actually ends. Uh, if you were to read chapter 5, which is the last chapter of Lamentations, um, it feels incomplete. Uh, it's like, you know, have you ever seen a movie that ends, but you don't feel comfortable with the ending because it doesn't feel like an ending. It doesn't feel like the story is finished. Uh, you expect there to be more to the story. Sometimes movies might do that because they're trying to set you up for a sequel. Or sometimes there are even songs that do that. They might end with a certain chord. Um, I mean, for you music people, uh, I heard from Peter, right? A dominant fifth chord. And that makes the song feel incomplete and you're expecting it to end on a certain note or a certain root chord for the song to finish. And when a song ends on this weird dominant fifth chord, it's like, oh, that ending surprised me. Lamentations is actually a little bit like that because if you read to the end, the ending is a little bit disappointing. This is how Lamentations ends. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Period. And that's it, right? <laughs> you thought I was going to read more, but that's actually how Lamentations ends. And as the reader, you're thinking, so did the Lord reject them and remain angry with them? What happened? Right? What's going to happen? And it doesn't feel like an ending because there is no resolution. You know, when Jesus came into the world, he is that resolution. He is the one who finishes that story and answers those questions for us. Uh, he is the one who wrote the ending of the movie that doesn't leave us hanging. He is the one who inserted that root chord at the end of the song so that you know there is a conclusion. And the anticipation that the voice in Lamentations 3 has for a future where lament, darkness, and grief are not the dominant themes of the story anymore, but rather in Jesus Christ, light starts to shine and the re resolution to the story becomes clear. And the Gospel of John picks up on this theme. In the opening of the Gospel, it says of Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Jesus' arrival signals that a new morning has come. Darkness will be swallowed up by light. But in order for that to happen, Jesus had to experience the darkest darkness anyone could have experienced when he died upon the cross. 
Now, Good Friday is coming up this week, and this is the Passion Week, and this is a week where a lot of Christians reflect upon the death and the, the sacrifice of Jesus. And if any of you decide to read the account of the crucifixion and the death of Jesus in uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're going to see that uh, the gospel writers make, a, make it a point to say when Jesus died, there was darkness over the whole land. And you might think it's descriptive until you realize that darkness came at around three o'clock in the afternoon. The darkness came over Jesus because Jesus took on darkness upon himself when he died on the cross. He took sin. He took death. He took our suffering. He became the suffering servant. He became the one who cried out the deepest lament when he himself died upon the cross. But the reason why Jesus did that is because that is ultimately how God would bring a new morning. And that new morning comes on Easter Sunday in the resurrection. See, that anticipation, I think, has to be a part of every Christian believer because that is our hope. And therefore, no matter how dark things get for us, we have hope that it won't be dark forever. When the book of Revelation tells us about the new Jerusalem, you know, it says there is no sun or moon to shine light in the city. And you know why? It's because the glory of God gives the city its light and its lamp is the lamb. In the new Jerusalem, there will be no night. There will be no darkness. There will be no sin. There will be no death. There will be no pandemic. But there will only be life, salvation, joy, glory. And that is what we anticipate as Christian believers. You know, as I said last week, uh, you know, there are appropriate times to lament. And, uh, you know, we have to get comfortable with lamenting. We should grieve when we are sad. Uh, we should grieve when there's a lot of loss. And to ignore that grief uh, and the sense of real loss that we feel or people feel or to emotionally disconnect to it would not be a demonstration of faith, per se. Uh, and as we hear more bad news, I do think uh, there will probably be a lot of sadness. And I do think we should lament some of that sadness in terms of what the virus is doing. But, you know, even in our grief, we should not grieve as people who do not have hope, meaning we shouldn't grieve as if we're left in the dark, but we grieve knowing that light has begun to shine forth. And that's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, uh, we should not grieve as people who do not have hope because he also knows that there is a resurrection and there is new life. And therefore, I actually think that helps us grieve better because our grief uh, should be born out of love, not despair. Our grief should recognize the reality of this world and that this world is broken, but also from a sense that we know that God will repair it uh, through the resurrected Christ. And our grief should shed tears of sadness, but we should also anticipate that in Christ, God will sow those tears and yield a great harvest of joy. And hope is, hope is a great gift from God. And hope is one of those things, um, I think, that saves us when 
we fall into the deepest kind of despair. And God gives us hope, friends. Uh, we see it in Lamentations. And I am, if, if there is a silver lining in terms of the timing of what this virus is doing, I'm grateful that it's happening around the Easter time uh, because in our vulnerable state, I do pray that we would be reminded that God gives us the kind of hope to grieve, to endure, to repent, and to return to God during this pandemic. And that there is a new morning. And that new morning comes with the risen Lord. Let's pray together.